If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 9. We want to look at verses uh, 1 through 10. Now, you'll notice in your bulletin, we gave you a little cheat sheet, and it's going to come in handy, kind of give you an idea what the tabernacle was all about. And uh, we're going to be speaking about uh, these two compartments. One is obviously a little bit bigger than the other, and we see the, the holy place, and then we see the holy of holies. And we're going to see the position this morning uh, concerning uh, the place of the Levitical priesthood and how the priest would go in daily and have to make sacrifices uh, for himself and then also uh, for his family and, and then for others that would come. And this was on a daily basis in the holy place. But we know that once a year, it was called the, the Day of Atonement, or as we're accustomed to hear, Yom Kippur. And the high priest would go into that one particular day a year, and he would go into this Holy of Holies, You'll notice that there was no windows and there was no lamp there, no light. And so the Shekinah glory of God illuminated. And he would go to the mercy seat and he would sprinkle the blood. And then there was this process of laying hands upon the escape goat and then looking for that goat to continue to go into the wilderness. And so you were looking at all the works and then uh, they would hope and pray uh, that the escape goat would continue. And that would mean that God had forgiven the sins of the nation uh, for that year. And then the anticipation already for the next year. And so all of this has been complete now uh, through Jesus Christ. And so the importance. So this morning, we're going to look at the contrast as we've been looking in the last couple of weeks. Now, the service of the priest in the Old Testament tabernacle is described in this chapter. The purpose is in relationship to the various pieces of furniture and their functions. The purpose is, again, to make plain the contrast between the superior service of Jesus Christ as our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary and Aaron as high priest in the earthly sanctuary. Now, remember, all this was a picture, a shadow, of the heavenly tabernacle where the Lord Jesus Christ as we read last week he sits at the right hand of the father and he makes intercession for us and so this beautiful picture here now go back to Hebrews chapter 8 look at verse 13 as we left off last week and the writer says a new creation or a new covenant excuse me uh, has been made uh, the first one is obsolete now what has become obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now the law did not fail, but the people failed the law. God brought in the new covenant, the covenant of grace, the covenant of the cross, the covenant of blood uh, of his son, Jesus Christ. We concluded last week this new covenant now. You see, Jesus, he was accused of coming to destroy the law but he came to fulfill the law he came to complete the law now we left you off with this verse the new covenant in mark chapter 14 verse 24 and he said to them this is the voice of christ this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many he spoke this at the last supper he spoke this of, of the new covenant now the completion it's done it's through the blood, not of goats and bulls and lambs, but the blood of the lamb, which is Christ, the complete sacrifice. I think we need to see that picture this morning because so many of us, maybe we're not, we were not into Judaism, but I speak from experience in my Catholicism. We had so many rituals, rites, customs, and traditions. And yet if we look at the complete sacrifice, the only sacrifice, uh, the one that completes the law, this new covenant now, which is Christ. But the things that we're seeing in the book of Hebrews is, is a picture. It was a perfect picture of what's going to be in heaven, but in the high priest, the position of the high priest, it's already been taken uh, through Jesus Christ. And so imagine now, uh, the writer is pinning this letter and it's going to the Hebrew Christians and the struggles and the pains that they were going through concerning the law. 
It was so easy uh, to go back to the rituals, the rites, and the customs, and the traditions, because it's easy for us. And so the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, there was a warning. They were some beginning to slip away. Some were beginning to go back into their Judaism. And it's hard. Some of us that come out of the Catholic Church, uh, we're so used to making the sign of the cross. When I walk into a, a Catholic service, I've been there for weddings. I've been there for funerals. I've even been asked to speak. And I'm looking for the water dispenser because I want to make the sign of the cross. It's just built in you. When I go back to Southern California and I go past uh, St. Joseph's Catholic Church, I was born and raised there. I mean, I went to the Catholic school system, and it's even 30 years later. But as I drive by, now the churches here don't affect me, but St. Joseph was our church, and I want to make the sign of the cross because it's part of you, and it's not easy to let go. And so now you're a Jew, and you're coming out of Judaism. How do you leave it? was not easy. Think of Paul the Apostle. I believe that he's the writer of the book of Hebrews. There are those that are argue the point. Paul was not only a Jew, but he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. He boasted that on the eighth day he was circumcised. Paul belonged to the Sanhedrin, the 70 elect of Israel. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He knew the law inside and out. And all of a sudden, for Paul to come to that place of saving grace, we find Paul in the book of Acts, and he's actually dancing and fellowshipping, and he's even breaking bread with Gentiles. That was unheard of. And, but Paul had come to that place where Jesus Christ became his complete sacrifice. And I pray this morning that we've come there. Even in our Protestantism, watch the traditions, the rituals, the rites, and the customs that we have, and we hold on to have we come to Christ? Have we come to the complete sacrifice? So we're going to see a picture here of uh, the old tabernacle. And so let's begin here in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 9. Now let me just give you some insight here. To understand this, you need to go back on your own and study Exodus chapter 25 and verses 10 through 40. Uh, we see uh, the, the furniture that's going to be spoken of. And there's other pieces that we're not going to be speaking about to this morning. But to fully understand what Moses was going through, we know Moses goes up into the mountain. We know that he, he brings down the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of the law. But also include in that that uh, Moses also had the blueprints. God says, this is the way I want you to build the tabernacle. Now remember, the temple's not built yet. And so the tabernacle was very uh, portable, and it would just be moved from here to there as they would go to various places. So to understand that better, and we'll get that on Wednesday nights when we get into the five books of Moses. And so study from Exodus chapter 25 to Exodus chapter 40. It'll give you some more insight. But let's begin here in verse 1. Then indeed... Even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. The old covenant that he's speaking of, first given to Abraham between God and Israel. The rules for righteousness, for worshiping God, and a place of worship here on earth and the earthly tabernacle. Now, we still see how the priest operated his office in worship. There in the sanctuary, how the people were to respond to the rules of true divine worship, holy worship unto the Lord. The priest was set apart to God as we are also to be set apart. If I'm a true believer this morning, a born-again Christian, I'm to be separated from the world and now consecrated unto God. If you're taking notes, back in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul the Apostle writes, and he says, we are now to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And I love what he says here, holy and acceptable unto God. And then he concludes it, this is our reasonable service unto the Lord. Now, Paul had come to grips with that. But here's the Old Testament Jews. They were never allowed to enter the tabernacle, only the priesthood. So it was limited. Through Jesus Christ, our complete high priest, our complete sacrifice, our new covenant, listen to this, Jew and Gentile have access through the throne of God. 
through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, those of us with Catholic background, if you recall how we would go to the confessional and go before the priest on Saturday night, and then we had access to the communion service, and that would be on Sunday morning. How we respected that office and how we looked at that place of holiness and righteousness. You remember when they would give you the, uh, the piece of bread, the wafer, and, and they would put a, a plate under your uh, jaw so that it would not fall on the ground. And I remember the instructions in our Catholic upbringing in parochial school. We were not to bite it. But it always locked up in the top of the, the bridge of the mouth, and you're sitting there with your tongue, and you didn't dare put your finger in there. But this was the place of holiness, of righteousness. This, we believe, was the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. And now, church, how we come to this place of saving grace. And it's not about the rituals, rites, and customs and tradition. It's already been accomplished and done at the cross by Jesus Christ. This new covenant, we spoke about the covenants last week. How a covenant was given uh, to Adam and then to Abraham. And there was a covenant to Noah. And then we see the Mosaic covenant given to Moses and he receives the law. And then we see the, uh, the covenant to King David. Then we come into this place of the New Testament. Jesus says, I am this New Testament. I am this new covenant. Now, let's continue here. Let's go to verse 2. And now we begin to see the furniture that was going to, the diagram is going to help you here to understand that. He says, for the tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And so look at the picture there, and we see two compartments. The first one called the holy place, and it's obviously bigger. But notice that there's a lampstand in there, and so there was light that was brought forth. And then you see the showbread that sat on top of the table. There were 12 loaves of bread. But then you come into this next compartment. Now, the... Basically, the priesthood was allowed into the first compartment, but only the high priest was allowed into the second compartment. And so there would be this curtain, and they would draw back the curtain and allow the priest to go in. And there was no light in there, but the Shekinah glory of God. And we're going to describe this Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the lid uh, that was called the mercy seat. Jesus has become that mercy seat. Now look at verse 2 again. The word tabernacle in the Greek is a tent, a habitation, or a place prepared for worship of God. And the Holy Spirit deals with two compartments. The first one is called the holy place, 30 by 15. The second one is the compartment is 15 by 15. This is called the holy of holies. The high priest entered once a year for the sins of the nation, also called the Day of Atonement, or as we understand it, as Yom Kippur. Now, there are those that believe that the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven today. We're going to get into that a little bit later on. And this mercy seat now is exactly where Christ would sit. Maybe not necessarily on this Ark of the Covenant, but he is the one that sits on the mercy seat. He completes this. The high priest would go in and he would make, uh, you know, prayers and he would sprinkle basically uh, the blood on this mercy seat. But let's continue in verse 2 now. Notice the diagram. In the Old Testament tabernacle, the Levitical priest would enter from the east to the west. As the Levitical priest entered the holy place, uh, the lampstand, or as we call it, the menorah, a lampstand with seven cups, each having a wick and filled with oil would be to his left or on the south side. And the priest would have to tend to this daily. The light was constantly going. So they had to trim the lamps. They would have to fix the, you know, the oil more and then uh, the wick. And so understand that. Now, on the right side or the north side uh, stood the table of showbread with 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, these 12 loaves would be changed every Shabbat or on Saturday. 
and the bread would be eaten by the priesthood. Now, here's the contrast. In the New Testament covenant, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, so the lampstand is no longer needed. Also, the scriptures teach us that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And so we partake of Christ in the communion table. Uh, there was those in the early church that described the church as cannibals, eating the flesh and drinking the blood. But if you recall in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul the writer tells us specifically, do this in remembrance of me. In Catholicism, it's the act of transubstantiation, that it actually becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But if you follow in all the teachings that Jesus says, take this bread, do this in remembrance of, of me. Take this cup and do this in remembrance of me until I come uh, for the church. Now let's continue here in verse 2. Uh, I want you to look at the word sanctuary. And this is where we play the part now. In, in the body of Christ. The word sanctuary is hagion in the Greek, which means the holy place. From the Greek word hagios, which the Lord calls us to be a holy people. The word holy is to be set apart. You know, we grew up, and a holy person was somebody that folded their hands. A holy person was that person with a ring around the top of their head. Well, actually, I never saw anybody like that. And it just seemed like the more of the folding of the hands, the more of dropping down your head, the more somber the look. Sometimes they looked at like they were in pain. And that was supposed to be holiness. And yet, if you've come to Christ, listen, in us, there is no holiness. In us, there is no righteousness. But because of Jesus, I come to that place of holiness. Because of Jesus, listen, I come into that place of righteousness. Now, when I know this now, that God considers me, uh, you know, a place of holiness, a place of righteousness, how much more am I to act like a Christian should act? Be careful with the dangers of, well, I'm going to church, and, you know, I'll take off the secular hat, and I'll put on the spiritual hat. Praise the Lord, brother. God bless you, sister. You see, we all know Christianese, right? But how do we act outside the walls? We leave this afternoon. You're maybe going to go to a restaurant or you're going to go to a loved one's house. Or what about tomorrow you go to work? How do we act? With these hands, I worship God. And then I go to work and I steal. With this mouth, I worship God. And then I go back to work or school and I curse. The Bible says it should not be. We need to learn that this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so leave a marker there. I want you to turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're also going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now we've mentioned this in time past. But I want you to have it so you can mark it in your own. When I came to grips with this, because let's face it, we would come to church on Sunday morning. I knew how to act. I knew the dress code that we had to have. You know, in Catholicism, we wouldn't dare go to church in Levi's. If we didn't go to church in Levi's, imagine wearing cutoffs in church. I could just see Sister Antonia Maria right now. She would slap me upside the head. And trust me, she did many times. Now I'm giving you my secrets. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 16. Paul says this. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Well, I can't wait to get to church to see God. I can't wait to get to church to hear of God. Praise the Lord, you are going to hear about God. And you are going to come to in, in, in His presence. But if you're a Christian, He's tabernacling within you. Look at verse 17. And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Again, you're holy. You're a holy priesthood. You're a holy people. You're set apart. The word hagios, you're set apart. And you're consecrated now unto God. You belong to him. And so with this logic and this thought in your mind, this is how, how do we act outside of the walls of the church. Now flip ahead, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 19 and 20. Paul takes it a little bit further. Now, if anybody knew how to be religious, it was this Saul of Tarsus, which becomes Paul the Apostle. 
And imagine his frustration. I can't eat this. I can't drink that. I can't touch this. I mean, there was rules and regulations. And all of a sudden, Paul comes to saving grace. And so he takes this another step. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 19. And he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Underline that. You're not your own. You belong to the Lord. And notice how he purchased you. In verse 20, For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Church, we need to understand if we're Christian, if we're born again of the Holy Spirit, if I've come to that place of redemption, I've been Paid by the price, a very expensive price. Jesus paid for me and he paid for you, listen, with his precious blood. This is the new covenant. When you come to grips with that, well, I'm going to church today, rightfully so. But when you leave church, he goes with you. You go to work, you go to school, you go to play, you go to the restaurant, whatever you do, God's there with you. God's there with you. We have this concept, because I've done it for years. Well, I'll act in church like I'm supposed to act. No, you're a Christian 24-7. No, you're not now that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He tabernacles within you. I'll tell you, that just blows the mind. And so here's the, uh, the Jewish believers coming. Again, going back to temple. Oh, let's wait for the priest to go pray for me. Let's wait for the priest to make a, a sacrifice for me. Oh, let's wait for the Day of Atonement. He's going to pray for the nation of Israel. Now, that was their ritual, right, and custom. That was their law. But, man, we can come to the Holy of Holies. Listen, because of Christ. He opened the door. Remember when Jesus dies on the cross? He's ready to give up the ghost. What does he say? It is finished. It's done. It's complete. And the Bible says that the temple curtain rent and chew from the top to the bottom. That temple curtain was 15 foot square, 18 inches thick, about the, the length of the tip of your finger to your elbow, a cubit. Interwoven gold. I mean, solid. How could it tear? Tradition tells us that after this was all over with, eventually the priesthood went back in and sewed the temple curtain back up. Yet God had made access uh, through his son, was paid by his precious blood. You are a purchased possession. You are a purchased possession. You want to blow people away? Go tell them, listen, Jesus tabernacles within me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's why we need to be careful what we place into the temple. Cursing, alcohol to the point of, you know, inebriation. I mean, come on. Drugs, lying, cheating, fornication, adultery. Well, it's not Sunday. Hey, you're a child of the king. And so we have to be careful. And look at verse 3. Now we continue. And he's still speaking about uh, the two compartments. Excuse me. And behind the second veil... The part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. This was the epitome uh, to the Hebrews. I mean, this was uh, where the Shekinah glory of God. This is where God met the high priest. And then uh, the high priest would come out uh, to the people. And so we're looking at verse 3. It's this place called the holiest of all. We also uh, have the, the term uh, the holiest, the holies of holies. So these two compartments, one, the first one was called the holy place. Then the second one, the holy of holies, the people never entered. Only the priesthood was allowed. Only the Levitical priest in the first compartment, only the high priest in the second compartment. Now we'll speak some more. Look at verse four. And we begin to describe, look at the golden censer. You can see it in your diagram, which had the golden censer. And then the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot uh, that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded forth, and the tablets of the covenant. So as you were preparing 
as the priest to go into uh, this holy of holies. I want you to think of this altar of incense. Uh, this place called the golden censer. And I want you to think of the smoke that would have been uh, illuminating from there and just coming up, listen, as a sweet-smelling savor. In the Old Testament, uh, God was given to Moses specifications. I want you to use uh, these ingredients. And uh, from time to time, you know, when we anoint people with oil here, uh, Sometimes Pastor Jeff will get a hold of one of the containers, or I have one, or Pastor Jay will have one, and the oil has the frankincense in it. And, and sometimes when we annoy people with that, they get, what, what is that smell? What is that aroma? And that's just a, a tip of the iceberg. Can you imagine uh, the smell of the incense, the sweet-smelling savor that the Lord, this was the prayer, this was the worship. This was the praise. This was the adoration that was given. Now, in the front of the entrance of the Holy of Holies was this altar of incense. It was called the golden censer. Now, gold represents kingship, rulership, and here uh, it speaks of the deity of Christ. Now, the censer in the Greek, I want you to see this. It speaks of the place of fumigation. And I want you to think of the word fumigation. You would see the smoke and such. This was uh, the place of our worship, the place of our praise. On your own study, Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 through 38. The place of the smoke of the fragrant, the sweet-smelling incense offered in the service of God in the Old Testament. Now today, in the New Testament, listen, it's our place of prayer, place of worship our place of praise. This morning, Peter and his family brought us into that place of worship. I hope this morning that you learn our place of worship. We've had several prayers already here this morning. Again, a form of worship, adoration. Lord, uh, we love you and we praise you, Lord. How important it is I hope you get a hold of that place of worship in your life. So many times when people come into the church, you know, the worship is being done. Well, that's their job. No, it's not a job. It's a ministry. It's a call. It's an anointing. And they're to bring us into that place of worship. But God forbid, I've seen it all. I've seen people come into worship and they do various things. The cell phone, turn it off. This is, when we're doing worship, it's not a time to do your checkbook. I've seen that. It's not a time, listen, to write notes to the person that came with you. It's not a time for giggling. It's not a time for laughter. It's a time of worship and praise. Well, Pastor Bob, you don't understand. I don't sing very well. That's okay. There's a scripture for you. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You see, my dad fulfilled that years ago before he went to the Lord. In heaven, my dad couldn't sing. My brother constantly told him, Dad, if it wasn't for that verse, I, I wouldn't let you sing in church. You're awful, Dad. But my dad didn't care. He wanted to worship God. Because too many years, the canker worm had stolen that. Oh, church, we come into his place of worship. And so this represents, listen, uh, that fragrance that comes from the golden censer. That fragrance that comes, uh, you know, from, uh, as your diagram calls it, uh, the altar of incense. Worship and praise and adoration. And, and you know, be careful. Like, you know, I like to close my eyes when I worship. I know we have the words overhead and all that, but I, I try to memorize as much of the song as I know. Because you're, you, you have this tendency to wander. You're worshiping God, and moms, forgive me, but you're thinking, did I turn the roast off or did I not? You know? I mean, we just have those thoughts. And then, you know, I'm going to put gas after the service, and where's the cheapest gas? You'd be surprised what comes into your mind. You guys have played ball last night. You come to worse, man, I could have hit that ball last night. What happened? The devil will use everything in his power. It is a time to come and to worship him. All this was done before he went in uh, to the Holy of Holies. Oh, Lord, receive my worship. 
Lord, receive my praise. Lord, receive my adoration. It should be a sweet-smelling savor that we offer to him as we worship the Lord. How important it is to truly worship God, not just to sing, not just to, you know, play the instrument, but to come and to worship him. The Bible teaches us those that worship God, listen, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship is so important. Now, then in entering the Holy of Holies, the high priest would encounter the Ark of the Covenant of God, made from acacia wood, then covered completely with gold. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant, the two tablets of the law, or what we understand, the Ten Commandments, and then the jar of manna, the manna that was provided in the wilderness, and then Aaron's rod that budded forth. Now, it's interesting about Aaron's rod. Do a study in Numbers chapter 17. God had told Moses to go to the 12 tribes of Israel. And from each tribe, draw one of the staffs of the appointed man in your tribe. And then they took the 12 staffs and they put them in the tabernacle. And in the morning, the one that budded forth, and not only budded forth, but it also had almonds on it. You study that in Numbers 17. That was to be the priesthood, and it was Aaron's rod. The Levitical priesthood was born, and Aaron was the first high priest. Now, when you walked into the tabernacle, and you see the diagram, and all the other furniture and such, and then you see the fence that was around it, uh, basically there was a lot of tapestry that was involved, but I wanted to give you these three elements. Gold was part of it. It spoke of the kingship, the rulership, the deity. And then we see the word silver. Now, we understand silver as redemption. But silver also represented blood. We see that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The blood that was shed. Brass always speaks of fire always speaks of judgment. And so we see these elements, and you go through it in the book of Exodus. Then the tapestries that come into the picture, and then the animal skins that come in into the picture. And then think about, you know, the white apparel that was used by the priesthood, and then the bloody mess that took place. All of this is looking for the forgiveness of sins. Now let me describe the elements that are inside this Ark of the Covenant further. The two tablets of the law, uh, we understand they're the Ten Commandments. Now they have been replaced, completed, if you may, by one commandment. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. We saw this last week, but I want you to see it again. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. Listen to the words of Jesus. Now, uh, if you watch the news and you follow what's going on, there's still this battle, especially in our government buildings, concerning the Ten Commandments. Well, you know, they're not proper. We need to take them down. And I'm all for it. You want to have the Ten Commandments up there, but you want to fulfill the Ten Commandments. It is fulfilled by one commandment, and that's the commandment of love. Notice here. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now this love is agapeo love. It's agape love. It's divine love. It's love that's unconditional. The best way to describe that love, agape love, is what put Jesus on the cross. Agape love is what caused Jesus to go all the way to the cross. This agape love. And so, so beautifully. Look at verse 35 now. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, I want you to think about that. You mean, Pastor Bob, were to take down the Ten Commandments? No, I'm not saying that. You can leave them up there. But it's all fulfilled with one commandment. It's fulfilled by the commandment of love. And we know, we spoke about this last week in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Well, if I love the Lord with everything that's within me, and he's placed that love of God in my heart, 
How can I commit adultery? How can I commit fornication? How can I steal? How can I covet my neighbor's goods, my neighbor's wife? I mean, the list goes on. I fulfill the Ten Commandments with a commandment of love. Now, he spoke about, secondly, the jar of manna. And I want you to stay there. Go now to the Gospel of John and go to chapter 6. The jar of manna was to remind Israel God's provision for them in the wilderness for 40 years. You know what's interesting? When the manna fell every day, it was like coriander seed. It was like a, a kind of a white substance. It was all over the floor. The women would gather it and the various things that they would make with manna. You ever heard Keith Green? He really goes into this whole thing, banana bread and, you know, the whole thing. But uh, probably made manna enchiladas, I'm sure. But manna is what sustained them. I want you to see this. In John chapter 6, verse 35, these are the words of Jesus. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me uh, shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He is the bread that we need, church. Go down to verse uh, 48. I am the bread of life. Verse 49, he says, Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. Verse 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Beautiful picture. I am the bread of life. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? You drink of that water. She was getting well water. Uh, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have brought to you, you, you will never thirst again. You eat of this bread, you will never be hungry again. And see, this speaks of that born-again experience. And so now he comes to Aaron's rod, the staff that represented the priesthood. Aaron was uh, the first high priest. Now, we, we saw that the, the staff that budded forth, so there was no doubt that it was uh, the Levitical priesthood came through Aaron, and the first high priest was Aaron. Now, we've been studying the book of Hebrews. Let me give you the theme again. The whole book of Hebrews uh, speaks of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, our final and our complete high priest. Everything that we need is in Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. But we have this group. We have this mindset. Well, I believe in God. And I believe that there's different roads to God. And basically, that's true. But which God does it lead you to? You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. There are those that want to go over the cross. There are those that want to go under the cross. There are those that want to go around the cross. The Bible says we must go through the cross. Jesus is the bridge builder to his father. Now, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. The main point of the things we are saying, listen to what the writer says, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavenly place. And so Jesus is this complete high priest. Jesus is this new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to go through that in a couple of weeks. Jesus Christ, our final and complete high priest. There are those that say that this Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia. We don't know where this Ark of the Covenant is. We know if they ever found it, uh, you'd find the, the staff of Aaron. You'd find the tablets of the law. You'd find this jar of manna. But where is this? Is it in Ethiopia? You'll see, you know, specials on that. Naturally, they never show it to you. Now, rabbis believe that it's hidden beneath the Temple Mount, but the Arabs have prevented any further digs. Now, there are those that believe that uh, there was a treasure map found in the Qumran Valley, and it describes that 
the Ark of the Covenant. It's in a cave with two columns near the river of Dome. Nobody knows where this river's at. There are others that believe that Jeremiah uh, was given divine appointment by God uh, to bury it. In fact, in one of my uh, studies that I was doing, uh, Ireland claims that they have it, that they've buried it. I, I, you know, I, I'm making, you know, just, but maybe some leprechauns are watching over it. I don't know. But you know what would happen if they were to find the Ark of the Covenant? They would worship it. And those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. If they were to bring out Noah's Ark, what do you think they would do to that? Oh, people would try to get slivers of that. You know, they'd be making crosses and everything. Because we like that kind of fixture. We used to have pieces of cloth that touched a patron saint. And, you know, it was part of me. I had it in my wallet. And in my drinking days, I would bring it out and rub it. That, that was supposed to keep the cops away, you know? I mean, the things that we do, church, those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, we described what took place here. You'll notice in your diagram, there's the laver, the altar of, of burnt offerings. There were so many other things, but we wanted to talk about what he's speaking of here in Hebrews chapter 9. And so now the Ark of the Covenant, what's on top of it? The mercy seat. Look at verse 5 with me. And above it, speaking of this Ark of the Covenant, above it, or the lid, uh, were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. On top of the Ark of the Covenant, stood two angelic beings. They were called cherubims. They had stretched out wings facing forward, touching wings. You can study Exodus chapter 25 and Exodus chapter 37. The Ark of the Covenant, the top of it was called, or this lid was called the mercy seat. The Old Testament word kofar, which means to cover, the New Testament word is propitiation. This mercy seat was the covering of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, propitiation in the New Testament, it means to atone, it means to appease, it means to forgive. But I want you to understand the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the day uh, to cover the guilt, the day to make atonement. This was once a year, the day that uh, the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled on the mercy seat. On that great day of the atonement, uh, they intercepted as, if it were, this condemning testimony, the actual reconciliation between God and his people, Israel. This took place once a year. Now, besides that, the high priest would lay hands on what they called the escape goat, and they would transfer the sins of the nation of Israel unto the goat. And then the sprinkling of the, of the blood on this lid called the mercy seat. Then they would take that goat and the other priests would take them outside of the camp. And then they would hope that the goat would take off. And they would situate priests along the line and hoping, you know, I, I always make that exaggeration that the escape goat is going that way. And, you know, El Paso's that way. So we just wanted to go to the desert. That's the way the nation of Israel would look. And then uh, the priest would relate to the other priest. He's going, he's going. Now, God forbid if the goat started eating grass around where they lived, and then he returned. That was a picture that their sins were not forgiven. Imagine what the priesthood had to go through constantly and continually. Oh, I hope the goat's gone. I hope the goat's gone. When we would make our confessions, oh, I hope my sins are forgiven. I hope my sins are forgiven. When I would partake of communion as a young boy, I remember. That's the time that I felt uh, purity, holiness, righteousness. I, I've just partaken uh, of the body and blood of Christ. I confessed my sins the night before. And I, in my mind, Lord, take me home today. 
Because Monday I go back to school and it start all over again. We go back to our sin nature so easily. Thank God the Lord has set us free. Listen, once and for all. Turn to a passage with me. Go to the book of Romans. Go to chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, we want to pick it up in verse 23. You know, we go through these rituals, rites, and customs, and traditions. This is what Bob has to do. I have to do this. Church, come to this conclusion. It's been done for you. It's been done for you. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished. What more do we want? It's done. You've heard the term. It's a done deal. It's finished. It's sealed. It's sealed by the blood of the Lamb. In Romans chapter 3, look at verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, and God has set forth, listen, a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Forgiveness at the cross. Forgiveness at the cross of Jesus Christ. Propitiation is just a big word that means mercy seat. Now it says that God forbearance. In other words, in the Old Testament, he held back. He just passed over our sins. It was just a covering. It was just kofar, and then we had to wait for next year. But in the blood of Christ, it's complete, church, once and for all. Now, let's look at another passage. We're still in uh, verse 5. Go to the epistle now of 1 John, towards the back. The epistle of 1 John, chapter 2. You have to come to grips when we see the cross. We see the complete sacrifice. I'm always reminded in, in my heart by the Spirit of the Lord, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming uh, to be baptized at the Jordan, John recognizes who Jesus is. And John says, Behold now the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy. Have mercy. And that's what God has done. He has given us the mercy seat through his precious blood. In 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 1. Now, this is John the Beloved. He also wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He was called John the Beloved. He says, My little children, these things I write to you, uh, he says, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, mark this down, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a lawyer for our defense. We have a go-between. We have a mediator. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not just for uh, the, the priesthood to go into the holy place. And it's not just for uh, the high priest to go into the holy of holies. But now through Christ, we all have access. Listen, Jew and Gentile. Now, in the tabernacle, there was a place for uh, the women. There was a place uh, for the Gentiles. But you could not get anywhere near this holy place or the holy of holies. But through Christ. Through Christ, church, we have access. Now, flip ahead just a little bit. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love, John says. Not that we love God. I like that because that's where we were. But that he loved us. And he sent his son uh, to be the propitiation. There it is again. He became the mercy seat for our sins. Jesus Christ paid the full price. He paid the full price. He redeemed us with his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so the priesthood continually offering sacrifices. And then that one day of year, the day of atonement, but now it's done. It's done. It's a completed deal. Christ's blood that can set me free, set you free. 
the propitiation, the mercy seat. Ah, thank you, Lord. You see, the Bible says we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest a man or a woman should boast. It's been done for us. What more do we want? And so look at the picture again. As the priest would come in, make the sacrifices in the holy place, as the high priest would finally come in uh, for that day of atonement and for the sins of, of the nation for that one day out of the year and then hoping and praying that the goat, the escaped goat, would just keep going. And man, we come to the cross freely. In Romans 10, 13, how simple can it be? Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does it take? What does it take? You ever heard somebody say, well, I'll go to church, but i got to clean up my act first. No, come the way you are. Because you're never going to clean up your act. Let God clean up your act. Come to him, listen, freely. Now, let's go back to our text. Now, we're just going to bring it all together now. Kind of just go through these last verses. Because uh, here in verse 6, the caption in my Bible says, The limitations of the earthly service was only temporal was only showing you, listen, a picture of the things to come. And so uh, we begin here, the conclusion. We're going to finish off now. Verse 6, now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle. We've spoken about this already, performing the service. And so the, here's that Old Testament priest. He went in and out of this first place called the holy place on a daily basis. He performed the religious rites, the religious duties. And listen, he would do this over and over and over again. The sins were only covered, was only temporal. But Jesus goes once and for all. Look at verse 7 now. But into the second compartment, we spoke of that. Uh, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood. He had to take blood in there, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which he offered, first of all, for himself. And then for the sins of the people committed in ignorance and that's us the sins that we commit in ignorance but this priest now again you'd have to study the book of exodus and the priest the high priest had this beautiful gown just a a gown that would you know just kind of open your mouth and go wow and remember the colors and such the breastplate and the miter the hat and then in the fringes of the bottom of his garment, there were these little bells, pomegranate bells. And as he moved, it would ring. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies. Traditionally, we're told that they would tie a rope to his leg. Because if the bells stopped, there was some kind of sin that he never took care of. And God would strike him dead. And they would pull him out and then put in the next high priest. I always wonder about that next high priest going, oh, Lord, help me. I want to get right with you, God. You better get right. They're going to pull you out like they pulled the other guy out. Imagine, that doesn't have to be done anymore. In verse 8, the Holy Spirit, listen, indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. The Holy Spirit. I believe it's Paul the Apostle that's speaking here. I believe it's Paul the Apostle that's writing. And if anybody knew the rituals, rites, customs, and traditions, anybody that knew the law, Paul was considered a student of the law. He studied under Gamaliel, the great teacher. And so Paul knew the law. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is speaking to him. The time would come when the manifestation of this holy place and the holy of holies would be complete. Listen, in Christ Jesus. Remember in the book of Acts in chapter 9 when Paul was going to Damascus, letters in hand, and when Paul was struck off his animal, blinded, remember his first words? Is that you, Lord? Recognize that it was the power of God. Many believe at that moment is when Paul became born again of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that scales were placed in, in his eyes. Now, go back earlier, and he hears and he sees the witness of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. 
had never left Paul because the Bible says they were con he, they consented to, he consented to the death as they laid their garments at Paul's feet this Saul of Tarsus so when he was struck he knew it was the power of God and Paul was never the same after that only the Holy Spirit can show you this the Holy Spirit shows you as he has shown me and this morning, if you haven't come to saving grace, it is only the Holy Spirit that can convict you and show you that place of the cross that you need to come. Notice now the conclusion, verses 9 and 10. It was symbolic, all of this that we've been speaking of, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him uh, who performed the service perfect or complete. The high priest wasn't done. He wasn't complete. He was a man just like anybody else, the priesthood or the high priest. The only one that completes us, listen, is Christ Jesus. Notice that it says, offered which cannot make him or who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, the conscience. And I tell you, you go back to your B.C. days before Christ, how the conscience would nail you. Even when you tried to get rid of stuff, you try, I'm not going to drink no more. I'm not going to do drugs no more. And your conscience just eating you alive. But it's not until Christ comes in. It's not until the Holy Spirit comes in that relieves you. And now when the conviction comes, then I confess my sin. Lord, I blew it, Lord. I sinned, Lord. And God says, it's covered. It's covered under the blood that's why he's making intercession for us that's why he prays for us on a daily basis this conscience can only be taken care of listen by the power of God notice verse 10 concerned only with foods and drinks various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation until the time of the cross the rituals, the rites, the customs, the tradition. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. You can't drink this. You can't drink that. Sounds like our doctor, right? Bob, you don't need this. But I like it. The rules and regulations. Go back again. Levitical law, what they could eat, what they could not eat. Again, look at Peter, the picture of Peter in Acts chapter 10 when he goes to Cornelius' house. He's on the rooftop, and he sees the great sheet. What did Peter see? Name all your pork products. That's what Peter saw. Man, those ribs look good, Lord. Well, Peter, now you can eat them. Now you can eat them. Church, we come to the conclusion this morning, this old tabernacle, it had a purpose. It had a place. If you may, the old tabernacle was pointing to the cross. The sacrifice of the animal was pointing to the cross. The blood was pointing to the cross. So all these things that have to do with the new covenant, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you still haven't made that commitment to Christ, I need to ask you, what are you waiting for? Your commitment to Christ is not to Pastor Bob or Calvary Chapel. Your commitment to Christ is to him. He's the one that paid for your precious life. He paid it with his blood. He paid for your life, listen, with his life. Today, the Bible says, is the day of your salvation. I don't know where all of you are at. I know where most of you are at concerning your walk with Christ, but maybe you're here this morning and you still have not made that commitment to Christ. Today is the day of your salvation. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer and let's get the worship team back up here. I'm going to end in a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask you. Maybe there's somebody here. Don't be embarrassed. I would have to tell you this. Don't leave here without Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your precious word. Lord, the scripture says your word will not come back void. Lord, you've made it possible for us to enter the holy of holies. Lord, you are the mercy seat. Lord, it's your blood that was shed for us and lord we have the ability to receive or the ability to reject the choice is ours god will never force us 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to ask you to come up. We're not here to embarrass you. But right there where you're at, if you're not sure, you'd like to receive Christ, I want to say a simple prayer of faith with you. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand and I'll say a simple prayer. Anybody here in the sanctuary, you'd like to receive Christ this morning, raise your hand and I'll be glad to pray with you. Anybody before we close? Praise the Lord. Then if we are all Christian, let's ask for God's anointing, God's favor, God's blessing upon each and every one of us. But maybe somebody's here this morning needs to rededicate that life. You, you know, you've meandered. You've walked away. You've become a prodigal, a son or a daughter. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but after the service, come on up to the front, and Pastor Jeff will be more than glad to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for these beautiful saints. And now, Lord, we know that you sit in the heavenly places. You sit at the right hand of majesty. You sit at the right hand of the Father. Lord, it's possible that you sit right on this mercy seat now. And you make intercession for us. You pray for us. Lord, it's your blood that cleanses us, that washes us. And I pray, Lord, if there's still somebody that's never received Christ, they need to come to the cross this morning. Lord, I pray for those that need to rededicate that life, that they would come up and pray with Pastor Jeff. Father, the rest of us, we ask, Lord, that you would bless us, you would anoint us, you'd pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Lord, bless the offerings this morning as you've given to us, Lord. We give back a portion. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.